It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. and welcome to the Phineas Club. This is a show where we get people from different parts of the world and different cultures to talk to us and discuss the uh, current events and hopefully get a different perspective on the things that are happening in the world. And uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different. My name is Patrick Beja and I didn't have a show planned for this uh, period of the month. And this honestly would have been an editorial that I uh, usually save for my Patreon supporters, which, by the way, if you're one of them, uh, thank you very much for supporting the show. If you're not, uh, feel free to go to the show notes and uh, direct yourself to Patreon and maybe look at... uh, the offerings there and see if you want to support the show financially because that's how the show is made possible. And I, uh, every month or so, I do a, an editorial sharing my thoughts on a specific topic. And this episode would have been uh, one of those, but I felt it uh, might be a good idea. It might even be a little bit important for the um, discussions we usually have on this show uh, to make it public. So this is uh, going to be a little bit different, as I said. It's going to be shorter and it's going to be me alone sharing my thoughts on some things. Uh, well, on one things really, which is what we're seeing happening in the US in the pandemic. Um, and that's going to be a discussion that I think is going to to be polarizing for even for this audience to an extent, which is the first point of, I guess, bewilderment for me and for many others um, outside the US specifically. We, we all have discussions, we all have disagreements, but uh, the extent to which this has become a contentious issue in the US is, uh, <laughs> well, again, bewildering for uh, people that are not living there. I'm guessing a few of you in the US are also bewildered. But um, let's take things in order. Um, A few, a couple of months ago, a month ago, we made an episode uh, with a couple of conservative friends um, who were discussing the situation of the epidemic in the US. And we made the argument then, which I think uh, has validity still, that by looking at the numbers and looking at things a little bit objectively, we could analyze the situation in the US and uh, maybe go against the perceived idea that 
things were being managed very poorly in the U.S., it was especially difficult for me because, as you all know, I'm not a fan of uh, Donald Trump. But I had to admit that even though there was a, a, a relative lack of federal guidance um, from the federal government, the situation in the U.S. was mostly satisfactory compared to similar countries and similar uh, uh, situations in the Western world. Uh, if you remember, back then, we saw the numbers that indicated that the number of deaths per million in the US put the country in the mid-range of European or Western countries in the uh, uh, ranking of doing worst to best. So even though I personally don't really like Donald Trump or the way he conducts his uh, government, I think the numbers showed that he didn't tell states what to do and states were handling it as well as they could. I think we also made the argument that the US is very big, very large, and some parts of it were much more uh, affected by the epidemic than other parts. And so on a local level, it could make sense to um, relax uh, uh, lockdown, um, uh, uh, lockdown recommendations or even, uh, not indications, lockdown orders uh, and, and relax them uh, because that zone was not uh, highly impacted or even was, was very little impacted. And I think, again, at the time, it made a lot of sense. Now, we are a couple of months later, um, and we have other numbers. And I hope that the people who were trusting in the idea that you have to look at things objectively back then to defend their own view on things, which I came to because I, I was looking at the numbers objectively, I hope. So those people will now look at the numbers and realize that the situation has changed, or even if the situation hasn't changed, the look, the, the way we see it, or the, the, the outlook we have on it has to change. I know that some people, and that is the most infuriating thing in this discussion, especially in the US, it means having a divide between the left and the right. And that makes no sense. And I'm sure that some people on the left uh, are looking at this and saying, ha, told you so. And I think that's fair enough. But more importantly, I think some people on the right are going to have a hard time looking at this and now... Uh, thinking, well, maybe there's a problem there and uh, maybe there is uh, someone or a group of people responsible for that problem happening. Um, I think a couple of months ago, there were a few people who were on the left side who were uh, uh, unwilling to accept the idea that the situation at that point was not as bad as it could have been. Uh, I told them then, Look at the numbers, look at the situation, this is how it is. Two months later, I will tell the same thing to the people on the right who are unwilling to accept that the situation has changed, 
And let's go through those numbers and sort of lay out, lay down our um, our examination of, you know what's crazy? What's even more infuriating than the divide uh, for this topic where it shouldn't be a divide? The more infuriating thing is that I'm hesitant to use the word fact when I talk to uh, people in the U.S., I'm hesitant to use the word facts because if you, the word fact has become charged, it's like, oh, but, you know, you can interpret the facts and facts aren't always the same depending on who you listen to and stuff like that. So I'm saying numbers uh, because thankfully numbers are still a, a real thing. But in reality, these are the facts, the best representation of the facts that we have. And um, there's a very easy way of looking at this. You go to google.com you type in covid and it displays a number of different pieces of data and you can uh, choose which pieces of data you um you display the first one is the daily change in uh number of new cases daily change in number of new cases is has been stable since roughly the end of march which might indicate to some, oh, that's great. Uh, stable for two months? That's a good handling of it. Except, of course, uh, that is not the aim. I, I've heard a few people saying, oh, we've flattened the curve. That's not the goal. The long-term goal is not to keep the same number of cases forever. <laughs> the long-term goal, or, or you know, after a few weeks, a few months, the goal is to bring it down, to bring the new cases down. So... Having a curve of new cases relatively flat is not what you're aiming for. That's not what flattening the curve uh, implies. It's flattening it for a few weeks to manage it, but then you have to bring it down. Um, so it has been stable, which is a bad thing in itself. It shouldn't be stable. It should go down. And in the past few days, it has risen dramatically. Um, we had a couple of days ago over 44,000 new cases in the U.S. Uh, and the highest number before that was towards the end of April, about 35,000 new cases. And I'll, I, I'll point out one thing which I've heard uh, the argument that that's actually normal because you're testing more. And that makes no sense. Obviously, when you're going to test more, you're going to have more cases, but every other country is testing more as well. Every other country in the world has put in place systems to test more. And in those countries, we're getting a dramatic shift in the number of new cases, a, a dramatic uh, lowering. If I want to give you an example, because I know that Many in the U.S., and I'm sorry if that sounds condescending, but I know by nature the U.S. is the global empire, so we all look at the U.S. as well as our own country. In the U.S., usually I think people look uh, more at the U.S. only. So in France, to give you an example, France was very badly hit. Um, France was among those highest impacted countries in Europe uh, at the beginning of the crisis. It was a, a very high number of new cases and a lot of deaths um, for the month of March and uh, parts of April. 
Um, since the middle of April, with a spike, a couple of spikes here and there due to the, the reporting method, um, things has gone down in the number of new cases. And a mm, couple of days ago, on uh, June 22nd, we're recording this on June 29th, we had zero new cases in France. That also happened a couple of days prior. Um, in between, there were a lot of cases. And so this comes and goes, let's say uh, the number of new cases per day is now in France in the hundreds, uh, not in the thousands, which it was in uh, a, a, for a long time until, let's say, the mid-May, something like that. So the fact that you're testing more doesn't justify the incredible mind-bending spike in the U.S. Not just spike, but constant uh, numbers, uh, number of new cases. Now, that's for new cases. We can look at death uh, per million, which is, again, one of the metrics we used in that episode a couple of months ago with um, to, to estimate how well the U.S. was doing. Well, back then, the U.S. was in the middle of the pack. Now, it's reaching the top of the pack. Of the pack. It is uh, at a number currently 390 deaths per million. Um, in, the, in France, it's still significantly higher, but 441 deaths per million. The important thing, of course, is that with the increase in number of, of, of new cases, of course, some of them are young people that are getting tested, which weren't guess, getting tested before, but it's still going to mean that there's a, a portion of them who are going to die uh, from the virus, likely going to die from the virus. Um, not just young people, but I mean among all the people who are tested. So it seems likely that uh, the number of deaths per million is going to keep increasing in the U.S., given how uh, the number of new cases is not only uh, stable, but actually has increased significantly. Um, so the U.S. is having more and more deaths per million in that ranking, uh, which I think is a fair-ish way of evaluating the country's response to the crisis. You see how many people die compared to the population. Of course, there are other factors, uh, age distribution, uh, population density. There are a number of different factors to uh, take into account. But uh, I'd like to remind people who are saying you know, if you were saying a couple of months ago, well, the U.S. is having a low number or, you know, mid-ish number of deaths per million, um, so they're not doing too badly, it meant something then, that number, right? So it should mean something now. You can't now, all of a sudden, because the number doesn't fit your, um, you know, the way you want to look at things, you can't say, oh, but <laughs> and, uh, no, 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 there are other factors to uh, take into account. So I think it's pretty clear, at least it is to me, that the situation is not uh, being handled the way it should. Because in every other Western country um, that is handling things properly, there are a few exceptions. I think Belgium is having issues. Sweden has decided not to, uh, to let the virus run its course, which is coming back to bite them in the ass right now. Um, and with a couple of excep exceptions... Every other country has uh, a handle on the situation and has decreased dramatically the number of new cases and the, obviously the number of deaths. So um, it is pretty clear 
that the US has not done that. That at this point, and we'll see how it keeps going, but at this point, the US as a whole has mismanaged the situation or is on its way to becoming one of the least well-managed situation in this pandemic. Uh, Again, it's not at this stage uh, worse than a country like France overall, even though in France, as I've said, there's been a spike and then a steady decrease. And now we're at a point where we record very few or, you know, in the hundreds, new cases per day, um, which is in percentage to the size of the population, a lot better managed. And again, France is not the example you want to be uh, uh, following, especially in the beginning, because we had a lot, a lot of deaths. Um, So I think this is a fairly uncontroversial uh, way of looking at the factual numbers. You might have an issue with it. I would argue, I mean, I'm always you know, happy to hear uh, contrarian arguments, but I, I think it's a fairly solid way of looking at things. Um, and, and so we can start exploring the causes, which then becomes, of course, a lot more speculative. But I think it's, it's fairly clear that there has been no strong coordinated federal response. And some people might say, well, you can't apply uh, the same rules to every state and every county county, uh, because the situation is different per state or county. And that I can understand. Obviously, if uh, President Trump's government was saying every person in the U.S. has to abide by these specific rules, um, then I don't think it would work. Because again, I'm certain that even to this day, there are different parts of the country that have a different situation. However, I don't think that a uh, federal response and guidelines necessarily implies having a one-size-fits-all policy. I think it would actually be uh, quite silly to go that route. Uh, To give you an example, in France, um, well, in Finland, we had very few cases and still had a lockdown for a while, as we've discussed. But even in that context, different parts of the country were treated differently. Um, The part around Helsinki uh, was in a more severe government-mandated lockdown because the situation was more dire, and in Finland, dire meant a much less uh, bad situation than in other parts of Europe. But it was locked down. The government passed emergency uh, laws, uh, and that, that allowed them to do that. In France, even as we were changing the, uh, relaxing the lockdown, we had rules in different parts of the country. And there was a set of, you know, a kind of a formula that was saying number of occupied beds, number of new cases, number of whatever. And if that gets you to a number that is X, then you have to apply um, that kind of rules on, on lockdown in in that region, in that part of the country. And you have uh, travel restrictions and, and stuff like that. And I think I don't see why this couldn't be implemented and coordinated by the federal government. Not just I don't see why, it would make a lot more sense for the federal government to coordinate these things. A couple of months ago, 
things were working out relatively well. State, um, uh, 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 the states were handling things relatively well, it seemed. But we were seeing the beginnings of uh, people who wanted to reopen a little bit too quickly. And, you know, at that point, we can't rewrite history. At that point, we didn't quite know how it was going to go. And there were some concerns, for sure. There were some um, governors who were demanding that the uh, lockdown be relaxed to save the economy. And I think at that point, uh, a, a lot of people, in, and I certainly remember myself doing that, saying, it makes no sense if you're endangering the uh, health of your constituents, because then not only do you get issues with health, with the pandemic spreading more, the epidemic spreading more, but also down the line, you damage the economy as well, because you're going to have this spread of the, um, of the, the epidemic. So it was, there were a few signs, but now we're certainly seeing how bad uh, the effects have been. And the fact that the federal government is not coordinating back then, it was maybe an acceptable way of handling things. I think now it is the responsibility of the federal government, actually it would have been a few weeks ago, to step in and say, listen, this is at the very least, at the very least, there should be recommendations. At the very, I think there should be, I don't know how it would work legally, the, the kind of power that the federal government has over states, or uh, I'm not, you know, uh, uh, here to argue I'm not a legal scholar. I don't know how it would work in practice, but I think it, there should be um, some mandatory elements, but certainly there should be guidance. The federal government should say, we have all the resources, we have all the data, we are, have teams that are compiling everything. This is what I think you should do if you're in this situation. The fact that there isn't that is certainly a mishandling, at the very least. Um, and I, I, I hate that this is politicized, but it is Trump's responsibility. Um, it is the head of the federal government that, who decides how to handle crises. And he should have put this into a, a, a working form uh, a while ago, but certainly now. I think this is clearly a mishandling of this situation, which is bad enough. But then I get to the really horrible part of this uh, entire affair, which is it's not just mishandling of the situation, which could be incompetence, which is, again, bad enough in itself. But the thing that really gets to me, and I'm sure gets to many, many of you in the US, is we're seeing this becoming, it has become a political issue. And it's not, it hasn't become a political issue on its own. It's become a political issue because Trump has politicized it. President Trump has uh, made it worse than it was. Instead of what we were talking about before, instead of making it, of uni uniting the country, he has, for whatever political purposes, lack of moral compass, whatever, however you want to call it, he has encouraged the artificial division between the right and the left, essentially encouraging the right to fight 
safety procedures and demonizing safety procedures as left leftist agendas. Um, and and maybe he hasn't honestly. I haven't been following his Twitter account <laughs> very closely, and maybe he hasn't said it specifically. But you certainly he has uh, not addressed this in a way that is responsible or um, it, 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 that fits the responsibility of his office. And I think this is what a lot of people were talking about when we were, you know, I was very afraid of Trump for the first few weeks and months. I, I worried that something bad was going to happen and he wouldn't rise to the occasion. And over the couple, a couple of years, three years, it didn't really materialize. And things were chugging along and he didn't have a lot of responsibility. Again, I think a lot of people will argue against this uh, uh, view of, of the situation and situations. But, you know, overall, the economy was doing pretty well. There wasn't any major catastrophe it wasn't it wasn't too bad there were issues i'm not obviously i'm not saying they weren't issues but it wasn't as uh cataclysmic as i was afraid it was going to be so i i started thinking well maybe this is going to be okay and the u.s government is uh constructed in a way that mitigates uh the actions of the presidency and of uh, you know the federal government can only do so much and the states etc etc uh, I think this situation is the thing that many were afraid of. And it's it's not the mishandling that is the worst part. That, again, would be bad enough. I think it's the, um, the, the encouraging of this pointless, dangerous, uh, divisive view of these issues, which is, quite frankly, and... Again, I apologize to the right side of the audience in the U.S., but it feels treasonous to me. It's, it's uh, uh, defaulting on your responsibility as the president of the United States to manage something incredibly important and costing lives for perceived political gain, which, again... Many people do, but the president usually is, has been until now, I think, no matter who you look at, no matter how you want to uh, characterize Obama or uh, the Clintons or the Bushes, they have all um, tried to be a unifying force and guide the country in times of crises. And there have been crises in America's history, certainly. Um, and and uh, not everyone has been perfect, but the way Trump is handling this, the, the way this president is handling this, is to increase the conflict within the U.S. with the cost of important actions um, that could help manage the crisis. So, I mean, we could discuss this for a long time. I, I, I think the gist is pretty clear. If the word treasonous bothers you, uh, that's fine. 
it's a very personal characterization, which I think might be, you know, treason is a very specific uh, thing, and maybe it doesn't apply, the, the, the standards of that don't apply to what Trump is doing, but certainly betraying the, um, the, 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 the spirit of his office, I think that is fair. And again, the fact that he is encouraging, and I mean, we've all seen the videos and uh, of people in Florida and people arguing against lockdown and safety procedures. And I think a lot of people will say, oh, but that's a few crazies. Um, you're always going to have those. Certainly. But they're always there. The thing is, if you encourage them, even without explicitly saying, you know, oh, awesome, good job, you're great. If you uh, uh, create a, an atmosphere where these kinds of ideas can become mainstream, then you're responsible for them becoming mainstream. And certainly um, <laughs> the president has been fostering that kind of uh, atmosphere. So... I'm sure a lot of people on the left side are listening to this and going, oh, yes, absolutely. That's, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not really interested in talking to you because we already agree. Uh, what I would like is for the people, you know, who are uncertain or who are on uh, the right side of the argument, who are thinking, oh, but maybe there's this, or trying to um, excuse or explain this whole situation to, I would like for you to try to look at the situation in a very neutral manner. And maybe the best way of look, doing this is looking at the other countries. And don't give me that, you know, oh, the US is different. It's not the same as, you know, every country is different. Sure, that's true. But in this case, there, there are similarities in the way you handle crises and you can adapt them but there are still things to be learned from the experience of others. So that could be one thing. Looking at the numbers in an objective way could be another uh, uh, method to uh, estimate whether or not things have been handled properly. Um, another way, if I may interject myself in this, is to listen to me. I try to be extremely uh, open to different ideas and arguments. And I have limits, but if I, I would hope that after years and years of this show and trying to listen to everyone, if I come to a point where I'm saying, guys, I think this is, in my view, even as someone who's trying to look at every angle every time, this is a pretty bad situation and this seems to be the reason why, I would hope that you... Um, you know, you, you give stock, is that the way you put it, to, to my analysis, uh, maybe a little bit more than you would someone who you perceive as being always in the other camp. Um, but in general, it seems to me like the responsibility of the president is difficult to... Um, to, to, to eschew? eschew? <laughs> um, and... I'm certain that if you're trying to find excuses for President Trump now, let me ask you this. If this was another president, 
would you be trying to find, you know, would you be as forgiving? I suspect you might not be. So what's the conclusion of all of this? Um, I, I would hope that uh, lockdown and safety procedures come back very quickly in the U.S., um, that this whole ridiculousness stops, that, that the, U the, the states, even those like Florida, who have been um, arguing for saving the economy through relaxing of lockdown procedures, realize that this is bad. Because honestly, I'm not hoping for uh, the presidency to start doing things, you know, on a federal level. So I would hope that the states start, uh, uh, you know, implementing these measures and taking it more seriously. Um, because I, I want the US to do well, <laughs> obviously. Um, and the other thing is, I'm being completely honest, I hope that this fallacy of everyone's as bad as one another, in their old politicians anyway, I hope this fallacy ends. Because certainly, we don't love politicians. Um, I'm sure we all have our feelings about some or all of them. Um, but the idea that they're all just as bad and that, you know, Biden specifically in this case is a terrible choice and Trump is a terrible choice. So I'll throw my hands up in the air and I don't care. <laughs> That's a song, isn't it? Uh, and I, and I don't worry. Uh, you know, I, I, I just flip everyone off. It has consequences. I'm, you need bureaucrats to do their job and it's boring and they lie and all of that maybe and they take advantage of this and that but this idea that trump is just as bad as everyone else and and oh but he's corrupt everyone's corrupt oh but he's an idiot everyone's an idiot it's not everything is on the same level i think this is the proof um of that it's uh the way it's he's in his own uh category you have good and bad politicians but he is something different um and so i don't think that uh it's you can still make the argument you know until six months ago maybe you could have made that argument it doesn't matter uh the economy is doing great blah 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 now i think we can make this argument uh, trump his personality and his attitude does have real consequences. So I guess what I'm trying to say is for those who are um, very, very, very much to the right and uh, who are very, very much anti-left, I don't think anyone's going to convince you. I'm sure, I, I'm guessing, you know, people who are on principle opposed to the thing or for a thing, I'm guessing... Nothing will convince you. Will convince you. I'm not sure how many of those people listen to this show, but maybe there are a few of you. Um, I'm I'm speaking to those who are uh, on on a more malleable, reasonable uh, platform. People who think, um, you know, it's not like I'm married to a side of, uh, you know, the political spectrum. Uh, people who might think, it didn't, I thought it didn't matter three, four years ago. Um, now I think maybe it does, you know? Um, so 
yeah, that's that's what I hope happens. I hope the the not just the moderate, but the people on um, the moderate side of uh, the right and the left. I'm talking about the right now because this is what we're talking about. I would be saying the same thing about the left if we were in that situation. Um, but the people who are, uh, you know, the, not a diehard uh, Trumpist, it does matter. And I'm sure it would hurt very much for you to vote for uh, Joe Biden. Um, but I would hope that at this stage, you understand that President Trump is actually in the this crisis situation, not equipped um, and not or not able. And beyond this, this is a relatively mild crisis situation, right? This is a pandemic that has had enormous consequences on the country and the world. What if there was a worse thing, a global conflict, a war, a thing where the, the badly handling a situation would have led to in exponentially worse uh, out outcomes? That might happen in the next four years. Who knows? We don't know. Um, that might happen in the next four years. For your sake and for mine, I really hope President Trump is not president anymore. Because beyond all of the right-left rhetoric, I don't think he's capable, equipped, willing, it doesn't matter, I don't think he's capable of handling a, 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 a crisis. And this situation has proven that. So I, I hope we get someone who, is, who will put you to sleep, who's boring as hell, who is maybe going to push a couple of policies that you won't like, but that, that will be studious and uh, bureaucratic and capable of following through on a, a rigorous crisis situation in a way that can make sense because Trump is not capable of that. And again, if there's a situation that is worse than a pandemic, it's bad enough. Again, I'm saying bad enough all the time. It's bad enough that this is happening now with the pandemic, which is having very real consequences. But if that, you know, you manage to brush it off or think, well, you know, Old people are going to die, and then everyone will be immune. Actually, that's not how it works. But let's say you brush it off that way. We, there might be a situation that we're not able to brush off that way in uh, two or three years. So, yeah. Um, this has taken a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> it's pretty good I didn't plan this as a simple editorial then. This is almost a full episode. Um, I won't put it up for pay on the Patreon, though. I will keep it as a, um, a, a non-pay episode uh, because I don't think this is the kind of thing that I'm promising in the, in the show and the kind of thing that people pay for. This is, again, more of an editorial 
type take. So, but I hope you still got something out of it. Um, feel free to comment. You know, I'm I'm not joking when I'm saying I'm always uh, open to hearing different ideas and takes on things. And you know that that's what we foster on this show, and I hope that's why you listen. Um, I'm even in the case of everything I've said here. I think it stands, but. If you have a different take, I'm very happy to hear it. Uh, so comments on frenchspin.com, uh, on Twitter, not Patrick, on even on Instagram, <laughs> not Patrick on Instagram as well, um, on Facebook, I'm not Patrick there too. And of course, if you uh, t get something out of this show, uh, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the Phineas Club. The show is, uh, oh, the link is in the show notes, so you can check that out there. And as you know, it, it takes barely two minutes to become a patron. So please consider doing that if you think the show uh, has some kind of value. We'll be back uh, shortly, I hope, with another episode. I hope you got something out of this one, and I will talk to you then. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.